welcome to Of Dust and Divinity, an ongoing conversation with makers, thinkers, and doers, where we ask big questions of the small things. You know, the, the experience that I can speak best to is my own. And it reminded me there's, I've had a couple of pretty low points in my life. Um, a lot of that was around transitions in my life, be it personal or professional. The most recent one being professional. Um, and I remember talking to uh, an older kind of mentor of mine and he said, you know, Chris, you can, you can spend your life going forward, you know, driving only looking in the rearview mirror, or you can, you can take your experience, you can take it, learn from it, not get rid of it, but put it there on the shelf and, and know that that's something that you can reference, but you can also look through the windshield and move forward with that, knowing that you're, you're better for learning that and better going through, going through it. Welcome back to the second half of our conversation with Tamira and Chris, where we pick up right where we left off and dive straight back in. Enjoy the ride. Tamir, can you unpack, like, what is it for you that is uncomfortable? Is, is there a particular, is it like one or two particular things, or is it just kind of this overall feeling? I'm, I'm super curious about that. Well, I think in my case, I, I am surrounded by um, mostly, like, the white people in my life are white progressives, I would call them having a conversation about racism being something that we are a part of is uncomfortable because there is that immediate defensiveness if it if it turns from like yes of course this is like a an issue but like i know that already and i've gotten to the point where i you know i have a sign in my yard and I went to a protest kind of thing. You know what I mean? Like I I think the when you when we're getting deeper into like our own personal experiences and our own um lives right now, what is it that we are doing meaningfully to um make change? I, I don't know. It's just kind of um I think that obviously there's a spectrum of the people who I'd be talking to, but I would say that there are people who, uh, anywhere from acknowledging that they are part of the problem and not just that they need to help other people understand (laughs) they're part of the problem, um, all the way to, you know, they already think that they're making a huge difference. And there's still a lot of internal work to be done. I'm, I, I am part of this. Like I'm, I don't want to point fingers. I just, I, it's uncomfortable to have the conversation and have us mutually be really digging into how we are a part of this. No, that's that's really good. It, it got me thinking too, and I would love to get both of your thoughts on this too. One of the things that I'm finding is 
specifically on that topic of family, um, especially in these, again, I mentioned my wife comes from a very big family. There's a lot of people, there's a lot of opinions there. <laughs> and, and when listening to those opinions where, again, I kind of hear this and I'm like, wow, you really think that? Um, and really for me trying to decide how to engage. And again, I'm not one that really loves conflict and, and bringing that on. Um, so part of me feels a little bit guilty, like just maybe by being quiet and not saying anything, I'm just well silently agreeing with them um, to the point where I'm like, oh no, I should, I should really say something and I should really set them straight. And well, that's not going to prove anybody's point. And, and how am I loving them by just trying to, you know, say that they're wrong all the time. So I'm just kind of curious in your guys' feedback is if that's something that you've experienced or <laughs> have any advice on. I would say that the thing I really relate to you saying that you're sort of like a, you know, uh, a peacemaker and uh, trying to sort of bring people together. Um, for me, at least, what I have found uh, is less confrontational, but maybe helpful, hopefully, is to share uh, my own process that I'm going through and something maybe, even just something small that I recognize about an experience that I had or something that I'm shifting in my perception or in conversation to be like, I read this today, and this is changing my opinion on this mm, thing about good. me, you know, and just like making, making it about me, <laughs> basically, um, which, uh, you know, is just more like, um, you know, just allowing them basically to react to how I'm changing what I'm thinking about myself mm. and my role in the, in, in the world. Cool. Raised hands. On that one. Yes. Appreciate that. Yeah, I I echo what Tamira said. It's something, Chris, that man, I'm so in the middle of and Yeah, I just can't help but feel like I'm getting it wrong all the time. <laughs> and part of it, you mentioned the Enneagram. Um on the Enneagram I'm a type three with a four wing, which means I'm a an achiever, um, who likes to achieve things uniquely. So I don't, I don't just want to be successful, but I want to be the best and I want to be the best in a way that no one else is. Right. So I always think of like a three with a four wing, like the Simone Biles of everything, right? I can't just win the gold medal. I have to win it doing a move that no other gymnast could possibly pull off. <laughs> That's like the epitome of a three wing four. I'm going to, I'm going to plus one that Cabin, just real quick, if I can, because just kind of to that, when you were setting up this podcast and first doing the introductions and like you cut a trailer to this and like the organization that you came to this, this podcast, I really legitimately thought I'm doing my life wrong. There's something <laughs> that I'm doing wrong that how does Cabin have such a mastery of this? I, this I is don't amazing. Know. I don't. What I have is a deep well of insecurity and fear that I might <laughs> fail. And so I overcompensate through <laughs> attempted achievement. Your organization was impressive, my friend. I just, I just wanted you to know that. Anyway, go ahead. <laughs> There were a few things that kept cropping to mind as you guys were talking. Um, 
that were really kind of hitting home for me and just my own process and my own wrestling. And, um, I've been trying to have more intentional conversations, which is hard because on the one side, I hear the wisdom of like, it's not your friends who are people of color. It's not their job to educate you. It's your job to educate you. And so I'm like, okay, like I'm going to read the books. I'm going to read the articles. I'm going to listen to the podcast. I'm going to educate myself. And then I get to a certain point in the journey, which is still very early on, right? Of awareness and and kind of systemic education of like, this is happening in the world. And, but then I always want to personalize and I want to say, how, how am I complicit in that, which then leads me to a period of self-reflectiveness of like thinking back to my interactions with different people over the years. But even with all the reading and all the reflection, I can still only see things to a certain degree. And so I was recently talking with one of my friends um, who is a person of color and reflecting on our college experiences And they shared some stories about me that I had completely forgotten about. Like I could have spent a thousand hours in self-reflection and I would not have remembered these stories, but they were real for them because they were stories in which I exhibited behavior that diminished them and their voice and their role in our community. And so, you know, I, I lamented that I, I apologized and, you know, we made amends and But there is a certain degree where I needed those things to be spoken into me. But, and, and so for me, that's part of the journey. And I wrestle that because like, I'm also told like that shouldn't be part of my journey, right? Because that's don't put that burden on other people. And I don't always know how to resolve that. And that's just kind of a hanging thing in my head right now. But also in that conversation, my friend called out some things that from their perspective were, was based in my race And, but then I'm also like, and this Tamir, this gets to what you're talking about, like that defensiveness. And this is me just really trying to be just completely transparent with like, I have, I have nothing to prove here and I have no reason to defend myself. Um, I'm just a broken, fallible person, um, trying to maybe do a little bit less damage than I did yesterday. And one of the things that they called out about me I was like, wait, but that's just my personality. Like that's, is that because I'm white or is that just because that's who I am as a person? And like, and that can be a hard line too. When, um, like, how do I balance that? Like, because I I don't want to be a racist person. Right. So there's obviously like, there were some behaviors where I was like, oh, wow, I cannot believe I said that to you out loud. I really said that. I'm a terrible person. I am so sorry that I said that. And I'm so sorry that that, that the words that I spoke diminished you as a person. That was wrong of me. I'm sorry. And then there's this other part of like, yeah, I, I am kind of a chatty Kathy and I do like to talk a lot. Um, is that something that I need to change about myself? Like, this is the internal wondering, right? Of like, Oh, is my chattiness part of my white privilege that I think that like 
even in this podcast, right? It's structured as just a free-flowing conversation between people without a lot of structure and questions. And is even that structure of my podcast part of my white privilege because I can create a space that I expect people to also banter with me in the same mode of communication that I'm used to? Like, is that something that I need to like really question and change? Like, at what point is it, well, that's just who Cabin is, right? Oh, that's okay. That's who Cabin is. He's a chatty person. He's going to attract people around him who are also chatty people. And at what point is that like, no, Cabin's created that pattern because he's in a system that has forced everyone around him to communicate the way he likes to communicate. And so actually he does need to spend some soul searching time questioning that narrative and maybe come out of it doing his podcast a little bit differently. Right. And so like, that's like, that's just me being really real. Like it's really present tense. That conversation happened this week for me. I'm still wrestling through it of like, and I, I haven't landed on anything. It's all kind of in the air right now of like, what do I do with that? And I'm not even necessarily looking for an answer, but like, I'm trying to hold the space open and not close it down in one direction or the other, not close it down and say, yep, it's something I need to change and not close it down and be like, nope, I can ignore that because it's just who I am. But just hold it and be like, oh man, that's uncomfortable to be called out on that. And then like, just be like, okay, I'm going to revisit it tomorrow and it's going to be uncomfortable again because I'm not going to resolve it. I refuse. I'm resisting resolution because I feel it leaning one way or the other. I'm like, no, like I need to just sit with that uncomfortable being called out on something. I just need to sit with it and sit with it and then sit with it a little bit longer and then sit with it some more. And it's hard, like to me, what you were saying about like these are uncomfortable things. Like I consider myself a fairly progressive person. Like I don't consider myself to, you know, I, I, I like to think that I'm doing the internal work, even though I recognize like there's still a lot more for me to do. And this is one of those things where it's like, oh my goodness, like, wow, I still do have a lot to do. Like I am still absolutely in the middle of wrestling with this and what it could look like in my life. You know, if we're all just, you know, being honest or whatever, I, you know, coming on a podcast and talking about these things is horrifying to a certain degree for me. <laughs> um, because uh, I don't feel, especially, you know, in recent weeks and months and in my sort of digital presence in the world, I have definitely um, taken a step back and dipped my toe in here and there. Um, so to, to join a conversation on your podcast was something I had to think about. And, um, you know, hopefully whoever's listening understands that, you know, we're, we're just thinking through it. You know, we're just trying to, um, have open minds and have empathy and recognize our role in the world, what we can and can't do. Um, and it's just like a really vulnerable place to be. And, and I think that's 
exactly where we should be right now because there's, you know, a degree of reckoning with where we're at. And it's, again, uncomfortable and sitting through that uncomfortableness and talking through things and making mistakes and changing our minds and um, just hopefully in the end getting a lot closer to what is true and good and meaningful and helpful and um, compassionate to our fellow human beings. Yeah, I agree. And there was something that Chris said early on, and I've heard it echoed a few times around the circle. It's this idea that proximity generates empathy. And there is a sense that sitting on a podcast, being connected through technology, is its own form of proximity, which is nice. And hopefully people who listen to this also join in with empathy. But there is something much truer and deeper in our bones and in our cells that has a memory that stretches back through our ancestral line and connects down deep into the earth and the soil and the worms and the microbes and up into the sky and the clouds. That says proximity generates empathy. There is something about just being present with people in the uncomfortable conversations in the truth of who we are as broken journeying people that's important to hold because that's the space that creates empathetic, caring, genuine relationships, which of course is a seedbed of real transformation. Kevin, you got me thinking about um, saying that I heard a speaker that I listened to and to that, you know, your past is different than my past than you know Tamara's past than the next person who walks through the room and you know it's not necessarily right wrong or indifferent um, it, it it is what it is and it is kind of what helped shaped us to where we are today uh, and what we do with that going forward um, can be the big thing right and it's not to excuse away bad behavior but what it's saying is, is, you know, the, the experience that I can speak best to is my own. And it reminded me there's, I've had a couple of pretty low points in my life. Um, a lot of that was around transitions in my life, be it personal or professional. The most recent one being professional. Um, and I remember talking to a, an older kind of mentor of mine and he said, you know, Chris, you can you can spend your life going forward, you know, driving, only looking in the rearview mirror, or you can, you can take your experience, you can take it, learn from it, not get rid of it, but put it there on the shelf and, and know that that's something that you can reference, but you can also look through the windshield and move forward with that, knowing that you're, you're better for learning that and better going through, going through it. Um, so there's no formula came in, but I just know with my life, that's, that's a hard moment to be in. And there's something to be said about self-reflection and there's something to be said about doing the work. And there's also something beautiful about working through that and, and, and whatever that other side looks like. Um, it tells me a lot about you, the fact that you're doing the work right now and it's giving you pause. Um, and I would encourage you to say, you know, like, 
great. Now what's the next thing? And I, I know that's in you. I know that's in your personality. So I'm not probably telling you anything that you don't know. Um, but it's kind of maybe affirm that for you. Uh, for me, most recently, it really was, it was a kind of a shift in a, a professional job assignment, which to me came across as a failure, as a demotion, as a, and I'm not meaning to turn this all about me, but like that was a really hard moment because it was, it was an imp, I saw it as an implication of myself, myself, something where I thought I was doing a good job. I actually came across as like, I'm not doing a good job. And as a matter of fact, I I'm failing. And whatever form that takes just as a human being, that's a hard pill to swallow. And it's hard to, to look inside and go, man, where did I go wrong? Like, I, I thought I was fine. <laughs> this is, that bus came out of nowhere. Um, and, and those moments happen in life. Um, and I, I kind of had to same, do the same thing. I'm like, either I'm going to lean into this um, and I'm, I'm going to try and work to improve it or I got to get off this train and that could have consequences, whatever they may look like. Um, it's a hard moment for sure. See, Chris, now you got me wanting to talk all about shadow work and true self, false self, and that internal world. Mm. It's become my morning coffee, so to speak. It's become the familiar comfort because of course I failed out of ministry because I was told that my personality is disqualified from Christian ministry, which being someone who thought my whole life was going to be about that, um, was pretty existential to deal with. And there's not, you know, there's nothing to hide. I was too ambitious is what it came down to. And the community I was in has some spiritual abuse in it. And part of that spiritual abuse was saying that there are certain personalities that are more loved by God than other personalities. And certainly ambitious people are least loved by God because ambitious people are greedy people like businessmen and entrepreneurs. And God doesn't want those people. And that became my relationship to the church was kind of being kicked out of it because of how I was made as a person. Which then, of course, sent me down a deep path of shadow work, of exploring my shadow, and first, of course, resisting it, um, and then coming to see it, and then coming to embrace it, and then coming to sup with it and dine with it, and coming to befriend it, and slowly now coming to be a co-worker with myself and all my failings. Um... I don't know if it's fair of me to drag you guys any farther into this mud. I got my rain boots on. I could go a little bit longer, but I think there is an element of this tying the conversation into the conversation about uh, the racial landscape in America. To your point, Chris, there is an element of this that is existential that says, if you haven't figured it out by now, then you're a bad person, then you're a failure, then you're not as progressive as you thought. Then, right, there's this sometimes explicit, but I think oftentimes implicit, I think it rises from within our souls, this deep judgment of what it means for us to be human, 
and a real threat that says, if I change my mind on this, if I concede that I did in fact miss this, then I lose a part of my humanity. And I don't mean a part of my humanity in the larger sense, but in the very personal sense of, I am now not me. I have lost a part of me. Not because I like the things that I realize that I've subconsciously agreed to, right? Like, so let's say I recognize, oh, I have implicit bias against people who smoke marijuana with dreadlocks. I don't know. I'm just picking something. If I come to an awareness of that implicit bias, then it creates an existential moment that says, if I choose to consciously admit to that implicit bias, then I might no longer be Caban because acknowledging that might say that then Caban's a bad person. And since I have a mental model built that says Caban isn't a bad person, if I introduce data to that mental model that says, well, Caban's a bad person, then it creates this crisis of being, this crisis of who am I? And that happened to me in ministry, right? I built this mental model that said, Caban is good at being a Christian. And I had a lot of data to back it up. And then I was confronted with this scenario where I was told by external voices, Caban is bad at being a Christian. And it created this crisis of being that I've been in the middle of that crisis for two years. Actually, I'll say, I'll say that I'm out of the crisis. The crisis I might describe as a storm on the ocean. And I'm no longer in the storm, but where the storm dropped me off is in, uh, is in uncharted waters, right? And I'm definitely not trying to get back to the harbor I was in before. I'm way past that. But I also don't necessarily know where I'm going. Um, which doesn't necessarily make me uncomfortable. It just makes it different. And there is this sense of like, okay, this conversation about race and what it means to be white in America and participating in these systems creates a crisis of being. And that's a hard, that's a hard place to be, right? Like it's not as hard of a place to be as like worrying that you're going to get shot for walking out your front door. So I'm not trying to compare those two things. But it is still a hard place to be, and it still is not a comfortable place to be, back to your point, Tamira. And I think it generates empathy in me when I acknowledge it as a crisis of being, because I can say, oh, I know what that feels like, and that sucks. That feeling sucks. And if that's how you're feeling right now, I care a lot about you. Kevin, one thing I would maybe add as an additional perspective to what you were just describing um, and that sort of feeling like who you thought you were, um, you know, changes or, you know, you've got this new input of data and there's this crisis and this acknowledgement of the bias, um, I would suggest that that inputting of data and that crisis is also a part of you and that it's not happening outside of you and that, you know, the cave-in 
the, the picture of you and the understanding of yourself needs to include the fact that you are reacting in the way that you are and that you are, you know, that you've gone through crisis and that you have acknowledged something about yourself, that that's also a part of yourself. I'll say too, there's an interesting thing that happened kind of going back to the whole COVID thing. Uh, when we first started with my company, um, working from home is basically the, the standard operation and our leadership of our company sent out a survey just to say, Hey, how are you liking working at home? Is this, how's everything going? Give us your feedback. And after, you know, two or three months into this, the survey was sent out again and I really appreciated it. And there was a lot of freedom, I think, in what, how our CEO framed it. I thought it was pretty wise. He said, look, we're going to send the survey out again. I've gotten some feedback from folks that, you know, what they originally said two months ago isn't necessarily how we're feeling right now. So he said, you know, we're, we're not politicians, right? We can change our minds. We can get data. We can look at the data. We can analyze the data. And if it's leading us to a different conclusion, we can say that. We can go ahead and gather that and say, no, I, I've actually changed my mind. I've had a change of heart. I've received the data. I've analyzed it. And now I've come to a different conclusion. Um, and there's no shame in that. Um, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, so kind of having that, that was kind of a light bulb aha moment for me of like, oh yeah, I'm not a politician. Like there's, there's nothing really writing on this. If like I've gathered data of whatever and, and kind of came into your point, this implicit bias of like, well, that's true. I, I do do that. Um, I don't like that. <laughs> I want to, want to change that. I don't know how maybe at this point, but this data that I gathered that I thought one thing originally, no, I'm actually, I'm going to change my mind. And, and there's a certain amount of freedom in that, um, which I, I believe leads to, I think can lead to a, a healthy type of growth. And that's our show. Thank you so much for joining in this ongoing conversation as we seek to unearth meaning in the everyday stuff of life. For show notes or to connect with this community of seekers, visit us online at www.ofdustanddivinity.com. Join our Facebook group, which is called Of Dust and Divinity Podcast Community, and engage us on Instagram at Of Dust and Divinity, all one word. Hey, and if this conversation was meaningful to you like it was meaningful to me, Leave a rating and a review on your favorite streaming platform so that more people just like us can discover this podcast and join the conversation themselves. Next week, we dive into quarantine, what it means to be your own boss, survivor's guilt for not suffering, and all the emotions that come up that we forgot are there until the silence. My 20s were avoiding my past and then trying to maybe medicate myself. And I have a tendency to be a workaholic and be overly ambitious and really focus on things that can distract me from healing myself. Uh, which, so in my 30s, that's, that's where I'm at now. I 
I, at like 28, I started to really kind of look at myself and say, okay, you've got the, on paper, everything looks great. You know, you've got everything. You know, I checked all the boxes, but I had insomnia. I was struggling with depression. And I kind of really started, I started to read some books about childhood adversity and I started to go to therapy. And now I'm at a place where I feel calm. I feel good because I've faced things that I haven't wanted to face and I've done a lot of healing. A huge thank you to my wife for supporting this passion project. And a great big thank you to Michelle Lim of Clementine Brands for all the brand content including the name of this podcast and the cover art. As you go through your day, remember these words of Rainer Maria Rilke. Be patient toward all that is unsolved in your heart, and try to love the questions themselves. Do not seek the answers which cannot be given to you, for you would not be able to live them. And the point is, to live everything. Live the questions now.